It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk. Well, whatever it is you happen to be tuning in, whatever time of day that is, welcome to the show. So happy that you're here. And as always, we seem to have two fantastic guests lined up for you to hopefully dive into the world of culture, talent, uh, and everything else that they're thinking about to hopefully help you, help your career, help your company, uh, and maybe get you to think about some things or read some books that maybe you hadn't planned on thinking about. So uh, you know, I get to this real pleasure of meeting these amazing people. That's really why I started the show. I was having these wonderful conversations with people one-on-one, and it seemed like a lot better idea to put it on air, let everyone listen in, let everyone learn from them, uh, even let you guys ask your own questions, right? You can do that on Twitter by going to at peopleg 2 uh, on Twitter or follow the hashtag talent talk. And we put all the best one-liners and links to profiles and books and so you can even ask questions there. You can argue with us. You can tell us how smart we are, how dumb we are, whatever you like. Um, and that's where we do all that is there on Twitter. So, uh, And if a question comes in live while we're doing the show, my social media uh, coordinator, Angela, will even feed that to me uh, while we're live on air. We try to do that sometimes when it happens. Now, so many of the guests over the years, last six, seven years we've been doing this, have provided so many wonderful stories and sort of surprise moments and things that we learned we didn't think we'd even even dream about. And I put those a lot of those in my first book called The Power of Company Culture. You can get that wherever you pick up you know, books online. But I have a new book coming out all about remote work. And it's about my story, my co-author's story about having a fully remote company. And of course, uh, several case studies and all sorts of stories about what were other organizations doing and how were they handling remote and hybrid work going forward uh, as we hopefully are exiting the pandemic, but really the future of work has changed quite a bit. So you can pre-order that book now, wherever you buy your books, remote work, um, and uh, hopefully you all can check that out. Now, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Thank you for those that do come in live. Most of you catch us on the flip side on a podcast. That's okay. We love you anyways. Um, in fact, we have three and a half million downloads last year of the podcast. So make sure you join that community, subscribe on iTunes, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find me, wherever you find Talent Talk, make sure you subscribe and never miss a show. So um, let's go ahead and talk about who's on the show today. My guest today will be Heather R. Younger, podcast host, author, keynote speaker, and CEO and founder of Employee uh, Fanatics. So Lots of titles there. I'm sure we'll dig into all of those in a minute. And then after the commercial break, we'll bring in Mentor Dial, speaker, author, and elevator. That's a new one for me. So we'll we'll see what he's got to talk about. But 
Let's go ahead and, and bring Heather into the show. Heather, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? What is it you do? What's important for us to know for our conversation today? Uh, well, let's see. I'm known as the employee whisperer. Ooh. And that really just means in the organization Employee Fanatics, we really focus on helping organizations create listening cultures. And that's because we've listened to thousands and thousands of employee uh employees in listening sessions. We've read lots and lots and lots of comments on engagement surveys and DEI surveys. So we really do understand what makes employees tick and we help leaders get to the bottom of that. So maybe you could kind of give us a little bit of a, we could kind of start on the leader side of it, right? Because I, I I happen to think that listen, a listening culture is both listening, but also making sure people feel heard, right? There's that you can listen, but they can also feel like you didn't hear them. And then what's the, kind of has a problem. So maybe we can start with kind of the leader. Often someone who's a good listener is also sort of categorized as someone who's compassionate, someone who's a good sort of connected leader. So what does that mean to be a compassionate leader inside of an organization? Well, you know, I think a lot of times people will confuse compassion and empathy, and Mm -hmm. they are wholly different. Empathy is standing in the shoes of another, kind of getting out of your shoes, understanding what the other person's needs are, sensing their needs. Compassion is kind of taking that, and it's actually taking action on behalf to alleviate someone else's pain based upon what you sensed about them. So basically compassion is the action. So to be a compassionate leader means you're action focused, that you don't just sit and listen, that you respond upon what it is you hear. Yeah. You know, and I, I have been a big advocate for years in telling uh, leaders, I think if someone comes to you and they have an issue, right. And especially an issue where you cannot be empathetic, you have never lived what they've lived. You've never done, had the problem that they're talking about, right. This could be everything from, Someone, I've had someone come to me as a single mom who had a problem. I'm like, well, I've never adult, I've never been a parent alone. I've never been a woman. I've, never, you know, there's certain parts of your experience I, I'm never going to get, right? I can be sympathetic to their problem. I can't be empathetic to it. So I've always been a big advocate for stop and get a group of people together to help this employee, right? Get, get, get lots of people helping, not just, it's not just my job as their direct, you know, manager or whatever to do it. Cause again, I can't, I can't always give them what they need, right? I need, I need help uh, in that. Is that a good strategy? Something you guys would, would, would talk about or are there other things that maybe leaders should be thinking about that on ways that they can address people whose, whose shoes they can't fit in, right? They could never get into. Yeah. I mean, I think, we may have a little bit of a difference in pain on the empathy side, but I, so well, I do love your team approach. I think the team approach is absolutely one that we can take. If the team is built upon trust and mm. respect already, then absolutely the team approach works uh, that you can bring everybody along so that, you know, more than one head is better than, you know, better than the one to be able to think through right. the problem, the issues that they're facing right then. Um, on the empathy side, I I think that it happens to be one of my top strengths is empathy. And so I lead with that. That can be exhausting. But what I mean by that is I actually, when I'm talking to someone, if they come to me like this, like this, like you said, the single mom, I'm not a single mom, never been a single mom. But if I'm able to release my current state, release the shoes I'm standing in and literally like release that and jump into their space and go, like I, you know what I can, I can say I, I, I didn't live it, but I can sense the pain that's behind it. Mm. I can sense what the experience meant for you. I can sense what your current experience is like. 
And so because of that, I'm, and I'm taking myself out of my shoes in my privileged two parent household, you know what I mean? That kind of thing. It makes it easier for me to go, well, since I'm, I, I sense her feelings and her needs, uh, then I can meet her more closely to where she's at versus where I'm at. So it does make it easier for me to become more empathetic, no matter if I'm not, you know, I'm not a woman, I'm not a man, whatever that is, right? Right. On both right. sides. Um, so yeah, that, that's how I would probably answer that. But I love the team approach as well. Yeah, because I always figure, you know, uh, to your point, more, you know, get more heads in there, right? Get more good ideas, give them more uh, help and assistance. And, you know, that example I gave, I had a couple good ideas to help that person. And it was nothing compared to what the other people came up with because they had been in that position. They had been a single parent. It was men and women in there. They had been, you know, they maybe fit them exactly. And they had so many better ideas and so many better words than I had. And I guess I, I use an example because I think sometimes leaders feel out of their out of their comfort zone, like sort of, you know, beyond where they feel like they can do something to help somebody. And their reaction in most of that time is to avoid that person and is to avoid that situation and avoid talking about it because then hopefully it'll just go away and I don't have to help them because I don't know how to help them. Um, and we, we've seen that in, in the last year uh, with changing the conversation, I think, inside of organizations uh, around race, uh, around, uh, you know, how does someone become an ally? How does, you know, and I think for so many years, people wanted to help, but just sort of ignored it. And like, I don't really know exactly what to do, or what to say. So I'm just going to say nothing. And then, you know, how do we evolve out of that? So, uh, you know, I think it, if we use that maybe as an example, then the, there are lots of issues or lots of things that are difficult for people to talk about, especially at work, right? So how, mm-hmm. how do leaders allow that conversation to start to happen? How do they, are there things that you maybe think about or, or suggest that people should do as a way to have a conversation and not to sort of be avoiding it? Yeah, I, this is, I, I'm not going to even try to paint a picture that this is an easy, smooth road. Um, yeah. The question is, have you built the trust ahead of time? So I always, this idea of like creating safe spaces for all these conversations, it, it's not going to happen overnight. It, it, yeah. uh, you can't just announce it and then it shall be. It's only when you've taken the time to build trust. And how do you build the trust? Well, it's, it's doing what you say you're going to do. It's being with them through thick and thin, being there for them in their corner, even when they didn't make the best choices, uh, you know, helping them work through those things, asking them critical questions. Uh, for them to know that you are with them side by side, in front of them, counseling them, uh, behind them, following them, whatever that means. And when you've done that, then when it's time to have those conversations, they feel safe. You don't need to yeah. announce the safety. They feel safe. It's organic and it's there. So I know that sounds kind of elusive, but you know, here's the thing. You just got to spend time with people. You just got, you're going to have to, it, one part of the, one of the areas in my book, I talk about this idea of leading the whole person. And it goes hand in hand with the safe spaces. So this idea, like the, the one when you just talked about, the single mom who's having issues. Okay, what are the issues? Is it that all the child care is gone? So she's at home. She's got her kids there. Something happened with child care. It's been like four months. There's no child care. You hear the kids in the background. So what are you doing to walk through with her what, this, what the, solu- the midterm solutions might be or the 30-minute solutions might be when she gets on a call with a customer? What are you doing to walk through it in a compassionate way where you're listening closely and intent not going in your shoes, again, taking that, getting out of your shoes, springboarding out right. of those and stepping into hers and going, hey, what can I do? What could she, is there a way for you to put a board behind you that does this thing? Is there a way for you? And so then when you do that, you're able to more fully meet that person where they're at and they know right. you're with them. 
safety is automatically created in that space. Yeah, yeah. And, and like in our example, we came up with splitting up her day so that she was doing a majority of her work when her kids were asleep, you know? And she was like, I can do that. And we're like, yeah, as long as you get your work done, like you don't have to work straight through without, you know, and that was like that in alone, that, that one solution we came up with was groundbreaking for her just for the, it only lasted like just under a year before her kids kind of, you know, things leveled off and all of that. But, you know, but you expressed care in that moment though, Chris, by you doing that and problem solving and doing that and meeting her where she was at in that moment, you really did step out of your shoes and into hers you expressed true care, which is a difference between you and lots of folks who don't do that. Well, I think you bring up a really good point about it's it's not an easy road and it's not something that just happens overnight. And it's often, you know, it's maybe thousands, maybe hundreds of little interactions, right? Where you are showing this person and it's really hard to, unless you have some acute thing, unless something really dramatic happens, it's really hard to fast forward that process. But inside of that, yes, we have opportunities to work together. Yes, we have opportunities to, to show them what we like them or that we, they did good work. But I do you think there's also, what, what does it look like for being really real with people, right? Also showing them, I can give you candor. I'm going to get, tell you that this is not how we do things. I'm going to tell you that I don't like this behavior, but then I'm not going to fire you. I'm not going to demote you. I'm not, right? I've shown you what I want. I'm going to have a tough conversation with you, but still have your back you know, tomorrow when something happens. So maybe you could talk about that part of it, because I think that's the part that's often missing, dramatically missing, you know, for people. It really is. People confuse the stuff I talk about in the soft space. It's very soft, it's very squishy care. Ooh, it's leading with heart. It's very squishy. Leading with heart has a lot to do with course correcting people too when they go off track. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's be- and the reason why I'm able to do it is because I built the trust. I built the care. I gave, I showed the care. I gave the love. All the other times that when I go to them and say, hmm, not, not happy. So I have an example. Uh, I had a team member of mine and she and I are, are very close to this day. She still swears I'm her best manager ever. And I am nowhere near some perfect manager, but here's what happened. She was having an issue with a coworker and I happened to see the issue take place in an email. They had me looped in and I could see, I could see how they were acting. And she responded in a way that was like, it was just like very cutting and, not very team focused. And she was really, she was senior to this person. So she, I was her senior. She was senior to this person. So I, I asked, so after the email took place, I said, Hey, I'd love to, let's meet, let's meet. So I talked to her and I said, I, I'm gotta be honest. I'm a little bit disappointed. I'm just, I, I saw that response and it was really unlike you. I, I did not expect for you to respond to her that way. And she's like, yeah, I know. And she, and she was, she was disappointed in herself. She knew it wasn't right. And I said, you know, and, and so she said, well, what do you think I should make it right? And so then I recommended her and suggested to her what it was that she could do to try to set the relationship. Not that they're going to ever love each other again, because their personalities already kind of clashed against each other. But if she could set it into a place where at least they'd be cordial, um, right. then that, and, you know, relational, that would be good. So she did that and they were able to get the relationship back on track. She didn't hate me for it. She wasn't mad at me for it, but because I, I knew her and she knew I was always at her, in her corner, I was able to say to her, eh, I do a little bit of correction here that that behavior was not right. It wasn't in line with your personal values and it's not congruent with that. And it, and it definitely wasn't, you know, congruent with how I see team and the team should work here. So I think it's possible to do it, but you have to build that really strong foundation first. Yeah. And one of my favorite sayings is, you know, what you focus on grows. And I, I always hope that managers can think about that. If, 
they want their people to disagree with them, then they should like praise them and reward them for speaking up and, and doing that. Right. I mean, I, I've so, had to like, after a meeting, call someone and they thought they were getting any trouble because they disagreed with me. And I was like, no, I just wanted to thank you for disagreeing with me. Like, I want you to know, I appreciate you saying something when you don't agree. That's what I want. Like, I'm not, you know, like my success is because of other people who are smarter than me being here and doing an awesome job, not because I'm, you know, I'm the one with all the answers. If I had all the answers, I wouldn't need anybody here. <laughs> right? Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so people could see me, they would see me doing like a hallelujah sign. Yeah. <laughs> so true. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's like it, you, you got to ignore or sort of devalue those things that maybe aren't what you want and really prop up the things that you do want and talk about it and bring it out and flush it out. Right. And, and that's another trust building moment, right. To show people, I do value these things. I do care about this. I kind of wanted to ask you about, you know, other ways to be kind of bring in some of the humanity back into the work environment. Cause I do feel like with remote work, people have actually gotten some of their humanity back because you remove all of the BS and all of the pretentious whatever and people, you know, and so as things go back to normal and some people may be going back to the office, what are some of the things we should be thinking about there? You know, it's interesting. I feel like some of the stuff we've spoken about have been really clear examples about it, irrespective of the location. So it's like separate from geography. The thing you talked about, about the single uh, mother who was at home and the, and the solution that you came up with humanity. I think this idea, again, of meeting people where they are, mm-hmm. particularly now, more like more now than ever, because there's like, um, I do a lot of listening sessions in the work that I do, and we sometimes do that in the diversity, equity, inclusion space. And they're, uh, one of the things that's really been increasing over time is this idea of unseen disabilities. So you have like people that, are, that have disabilities, but they're unseen. Lots and lots of people now have generalized anxiety disorders, some kind of mental health issues, depression, right? How are you allowing them the space they need for this new world they're now experiencing? Uh, like you were saying, kind of resting into the discomfort. It is a dis- it's an uncomfortable place because sometimes that means we may d- need to be more flexible. It means that now they just put us out. Now we, the plan we had for moving this project or this business forward is stalled or delayed because we asked them the question about how they're feeling, how they're doing. And now all of a sudden, because we, we'd be really insensitive if we didn't take where their current state into consideration when we're trying to move these things forward, then now it throws us off. So we, like you were saying, we don't want to ask that question because now we got to deal with it, which is what happens a lot, right? We don't ask the questions. So I would say that bringing the humanity in is Right now, more than ever, it's spending the time to ask those right questions, taking the time to listen very thoroughly to their responses, um, and responding to them with some kind of compassionate action. That's yeah. that's what I would say we would need right now to bring more humanity back in the workplace. Yeah, and, and you know, meeting people where they're at, I think, is a super important point that I, I wish more people would think about because we often. Well, I, I'm on a career tra- trajectory. I want to get to this point, right? Uh, or I'm going to leave the company. I have this idea. And so we think everyone else wants to do that. But somebody else might be like, I just want to stay right where I'm at for the next five years. I'm, ra- I'm raising a family. I'm caring for a sick you know, parent. I, I've got something else at home where I'm not up for taking on that extra load or, or right? But in five years, I'm there. Like Then I want to do that new trajectory. I want to go do that new thing. And so figuring out where people are is super important because you can help sort of guide their path or be there for them if they do want to excel or maybe they want to plateau for a while or maybe they need to 
they want to back down a little bit. Maybe they're in a position they don't feel like isn't quite where they wanted to be. Um, but I'm not sure we had those conversations. We just sort of assume everyone's climbing a ladder. Everyone's wanting to do the same thing. And that's rarely the case, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah, you're right. Not everybody's wanting to be there. And I, I do think that as managers, we do get really sidetracked with our goals in the day-to-day and just big, huge organizational initiatives. And we just cannot forget the people, the people who actually drive all those things forward. None of those things happen without the people. It's just right. that simple. Right. So I know you have a book called The Art of Caring Leadership, and hopefully people will go and check that out. Uh, In the book, you talk uh, to sort of discuss ways leaders can ensure that all of their employees are heard. Uh, What maybe what are some of the the ways that you might share with us today? Obviously, we'll save some for the for the book. You have to get the book to get them all. But maybe Mm -hmm. drop us a few here. Well, I think I alluded to the one which is becoming obviously in my mind really critical, which is this lead the whole person idea. Uh, taking into the person, all of the different facets of the person. That's one of them. Listening, creating a culture of listening uh, organizationally and within your team uh, to to make sure people feel listened to and heard. They feel validated. They feel responded to. Um, they feel like people. They feel human because they feel like their voices are powerful. Um, another one is, is, it's the first chapter in the book. It's very robust because it's the most important and it's called self-leadership. <laughs> and that's this idea of how, what are we doing every day to make sure that what we are doing, our actions and what we say are congruent with the values we say we honor. And, um, and also this idea of authenticity, are we being authentic? Are we caring for ourselves? A lot of people don't connect the fact that caring leadership also means that we have cared for ourselves too in very clear ways. So like, you know, do we, where are we working on? Are we eating well? Do we sleep well? Like all the, some of the basic things, do we go to therapy? Do we go get massages? But this other idea too of like self-compassion. So we talked about compassionate leadership. Are we compassionate towards our own selves? Because we have to be there first before we can give it. You can't give what you don't have. It's really prescriptive that way. So self-leadership is a big one. It's really deep and robust because it's the thing we need to consider most and we don't do well at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So I would say those are a few of them. There, there's a lot in there. I, there are the, the voices of about 80 leaders from my Leadership with Heart podcast, the voices of their are, are show up inside this book. So it gives a lot more rich, richer, richness and texture. Yeah, and I'm always a little careful of that word authentic these days. I've had so many people come to me, I'm just being my authentic self as they act like a total jerk and just railroad you, right? <laughs> I'm just being authentic. No, you're just used as an excuse to get what you want, right? Whereas I feel like actual authenticity is what is it I'm good at, right? What is it I excel at doing? If I'm a leader, if I'm good at sales, if I'm good at customer service, I'm good at whatever, like I'm doing that. Like, like that's my... I would use that as a work context. That's my authentic self, right? As I'm doing the work that I'm really good at, I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm avoiding at all costs the stuff that drains me, that I'm not good at, that, or at least I haven't become good at yet, um, right? I, I know I'm terrible at QuickBooks and accounting, and I'm going to stay far away from that because that's not my jam, right? I have fantastic people who do that. Uh, I actually can do it, but I hate it. Like, it just drains me, right? But I, I had to learn that, you know? So really interesting. I know we're almost out of time here. I did want to ask you, what is this concept in your book called the elixir? Um, well, really is actually, I did talk about it. It's this oh. idea of, it's it's the empathy and compassion combination. Okay. So when you combine both empathy and compassion, that is the elixir for care. So uh, again, people are listening, they're sitting to you. Oh, I sense you. I, I, I totally get you. Okay. That's good. Now, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. The compassion 
takes empathy and puts it into action. That combination is the thing that makes people feel the most cared for. Got it. So when you you have the understanding, but you put something in action, that makes the and that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, well, it was really uh, fun to have you on the show today. I hope people can go and check out your book, uh, which is uh, it's out now, right? Or is it coming out? Yes, it is. It's out now. The art of caring leadership, and make sure you look up Heather R. Younger because there are other people out there with that name. Not as nice people, not as good to people, but there are other people with that name. So look for the middle initial as well. Um, but hopefully we can have you come back to the show and give us an update on everything you're doing. But I really appreciate you being here today and, and sharing with the audience. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. All right. We'll be right back after this quick commercial break and we'll bring in my second guest, uh, Minter Dial. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly through our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, Heather R. Younger, you can listen to her interview on our podcast that we turn into uh, next week or so. It shows up on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you find your podcast, Podbean, in fact, you can go to talenttalkradio.com right now and subscribe there and make sure you get an alert anytime a new episode is ready. Uh, and we try to do, we, if you follow me on anywhere on social, we throw this stuff out everywhere. So it's hard to miss. So just make sure you're, you're following somewhere so you never miss it, another show. Also, we do uh, put all the best one-liners, links to profiles, books, anything important that we talk about onto our Twitter feed. We live tweet this show as it goes along. So follow at peoplesg 2 and the talent uh, talent talk hashtag, and uh, you'll never miss anything. So if you're listening and you can't write something down, it's probably recorded there for you. So we do all the work for you. All right. Well, I'm going to bring in my next guest. Uh, it's going to be a mentor dial, um, and looks like he is a keynote speaker, podcaster, and elevator. I'm interested to find out how he's going to define that word for us. And author of "You Lead: How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader." So, uh, Mitchell, welcome to the, to the show today, sir. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So, there's a for my for my American uh, uh, listeners, a little bit of an accent there. Where are you calling in from today? Where you, and where are you originally from? Oh, well, the easy answer is I'm I'm in London, England. Where am I from? Not much longer answer. I was All right. born in Belgium to American parents, brought up in France, educated in England, and I have a French and a U.S. passport. That is a fascinating answer. And that's exactly why we had the shows. I learned to meet interesting, cool people that kind of have different in Belgium to American. That's a lot there. I love it. All right. Well, maybe you could tell everyone a little bit more about you and your work uh, and what's important for us to know in our conversation today. 
Well, I, uh, I generally like to say I am a, a person who loves a lot of things, but is good at none. I've <laughs> dabbled in all sorts of things, including being a tennis pro. I, I did a startup for a travel agency for musicians. I worked in an investment bank for four years. I sold cosmetics for 16. I, I did luxury leather goods, a startup. And, uh, but for the last 10 years, what I've been doing is trying to help companies transform into places where good leadership and making the world a little bit of a better place. Well, it sounds like your passion is what drives you. And I think that is something that people will like about you and any other leader who knows what's that makes them tick, ma- makes them want to get out of bed in the morning and, and runs it right. And you, you're doing it until you don't want to do it anymore. And I, I can certainly, uh, can see myself in some of that. I've definitely always have a lot of things going and can feel that way. I've, I have friends who like dedicate their lives to one thing and they're the expert in this one thing. And at times I'm jealous of that. And at times I'm like, I don't think I could ever do that. Like I want to do 50 things. So, <laughs> and I think there's a real benefit, Chris, to in today's world, being able to pollinate from different fields into mm. other. The challenge for us is, is connecting the dots and, right. and bringing to life things that are in one context and another. And that's, that's the, for me, the, the, the juicy enjoyment. So the uh, not so uh, secret information is that the world has changed. Work has changed. Uh, how we work, where we work, all of that has changed or will continue to change. And maybe, maybe the dust will settle in a few years here as, uh, as the pandemic winds down. But you know, in, in today's context, and maybe with some vision of the foreseeable future, what do you think it's going to take for a leader, you know, to be successful? What does that leader of tomorrow look like? Right. Well, the, the first thing I tend to say is, is almost the easiest, and yet it's actually very difficult, is really dig in on figuring out who you are. Because it sounds easy, but actually it's a whole lot different. I mean, I've been working on this whole project of, of finding leading yourself and being yourself. And it really took me eight years of concerted effort to come up with a real feeling of groundedness in the person that I was. So I think that's the first thing. And then related to it is lead with purpose. Mm -hmm. And the stronger you know who yourself is, the more likely you're going to have integrity and power in the purpose that you're following. It's not some like, oh, I'd like to do that. Oh, that sounds really neat. It's something that sits in your tripes, in your, in your, in your gut. Yeah. And, and then that makes it feel so much stronger and more powerful, energetic for you. Well, and I, I think people often, you can hear that and go, oh, well, I can do that. I can go and, okay, what's my purpose and, what's, and what am I good at? But honestly, that can take a long time to really figure out because the simple answer, I mean, we use onion as an example, right? Is this crusty outside that nobody really wants. And you have to really keep digging down to figure out, well, what is my real purpose? And what am I really good at? What are those things that I should be focusing my energy around? That then can, once I think once you know that, at least how it exists today, it may evolve right in the future, then you can decide to do all the cool things like you've done, right? Then you can say, well, geez, I like to be around people. I like to do, 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 do. And well, of course, this new job or this new venture makes sense because I can do all of those things, even though maybe I would have never imagined myself doing that specific thing. It, and it, so there are a couple of things I like about The Onion. Um, I'm going to jump on that. One is yeah. it, makes you, it makes you cry. And 
And when we tend to, I think the way we tend to go after who we are, we like to think about all the good things about us. Right. You know, this is what I'm strong at. And uh, maybe these are my weaknesses, but I'm going to work on them. But actually, it's, it's more about embracing everything about you, including the darker side, including your weaknesses, and obviously your vulnerabilities. And so that ability to tap into your emotions is really interesting. And it's, it's very likely that the onion's interesting, but sometimes you need to be in a salad. And an onion provides a lot of taste, but you also need to know to surround yourself with the right people around you. And yeah. so once you know your place, then you're going to be better off to make a proper salad that's got the right mixture of people around you. For years, I was uh, going to conferences and I would pull those keynote speakers to the side. I would get their ear, I could stand in line, you know, let them sign a book or whatever, just so I could ask them just a few quick questions. And one of those questions was, should I work on my weaknesses? And every one of them said yes. And my follow-up question was, is, but do you do that? And the answer was always no. They didn't. They didn't work on their week. They identified them. They knew them. They were aware of them. But they didn't work on them. They got good people to fill in those gaps. Or they find, found ways to cope with their weaknesses. It would probably be a better word. It is, does that fall in line with what you're talking about? Or do you have a different view of that? Well, some weaknesses are, are challenging. You know, you can say, well, my weakness is, is creativity. Right. I'm a, I, I think rationally, very engineering wise. So my weakness is creativity. The way to work on that for me isn't necessarily trying to make yourself into a Van Gogh is all is to surround yourself with more creative talents, expose yourself to creativity, but the right. chance of you becoming an artist overnight, unlikely. So I think it's about understanding your weaknesses and, 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 and working with it. So an example that's quite concrete for me, I am, and my wife will be the first to, to tell me, not good at taking criticism. I kind of feel like, well, I can do better. So I, I quickly jump in. I got defensive. So this is something that I own. And, mm -hmm. and what I've tried to do is develop methods of understanding criticism as a gift. So I don't always succeed. And I think that's another thing to understand is the, the, this idea of seeking perfection. I might be good in some areas, I could do better, but I just I want to do better with regard to receiving criticism, but I don't always succeed, unfortunately. Yeah, and you bring up a, a good point because I, I did learn that the most successful people I was running into really don't work on their weaknesses and they, they because it outsourced them, they, they're aware of them, they find other ways to cope with them. And I love the example of, if you don't feel creative, be around more creative people because you can learn how they're probably, can, you can start to, see what maybe you were missing, that it isn't some mystical thing. They weren't just born, you know, they didn't, they didn't come out of their mother's womb holding a, holding a paintbrush, right? I mean, there, there, there was more that went into it than that, right? So it's, you, you can sort of p learn a lot more I and mean, maybe get better. But I did learn that this rule doesn't apply with marriage. It doesn't apply with those people you're closest to. You do have to work on some of those things, I think, in order for the relationship to be to withstand the long term. And so, and I've started to kind of even start to see that in with my closest relationships at work, those people that I manage the most. I do have to work a little bit at those things where they might identify me as being the weakest. Now, I'm, I, if I self-identify as not being a good salesperson or not being a good accountant, yes, I shouldn't go and take up the role of being a head salesperson <laughs> tomorrow or my company may not ever <laughs> survive. 
Um, but yeah, there's that good mix, right? And I guess you just start to figure out what what you're willing to do, and I guess how much of that onion you're willing to peel through, you know, and and cry along the way. <laughs> well, when it comes to close people, I I agree with you. A, if you want your long-term relationship to survive, you know how you have to give and take. Yeah, and probably give more than you expect to take, because you always take. And the one thing that I, I certainly think is is the, the, the single most important ingredient of developing good long-term relationships, whether it's at work or at home, is listening. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, there's a thing called close communication bias, where you will tend to think you know what the other person's going to say. Mm. And it quickly says, yeah, 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 I know it. Yeah, I got it. And we and that kind of overbearingness, yeah, wears down, and that happens at work just like it does at home. It's like it's just being impatient because you think you're at your point. You know what they're going to say. Like, I don't want to listen for three more minutes. As you get to the point where I know you, I know where you're at. And I find I would I would do that with people I'm very that I'm very close to that I've had relationships with the longest. Right. My yes. best friend, my mother-in-law, my mom, like those people, I, I, when you said that, I'm like, oh, I do that to them. Definitely. Right. But a new employee, I would never do that to, even though I think I know what they're going to say. I would listen all the way through. I would be patient. And I often be surprised what they were going to say because I don't know them that well. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a really, really interesting one. Uh, and, and I think we lose, we lose out the idea of active listening, right? Listening to understand, not listening to respond, uh, and we just spent, yeah, you may not have heard, but we just spent 30 minutes with the first guest talking all about listening. This is a perfect segue. Um, you know, and that idea of really listening to understand what someone's trying to tell you and maybe what they're not saying, right? And what they, what is their body language saying and and all of that. So is that is that what leaders should be focusing on if they want to get better? Is that the area they should maybe really kind of put their stake in the ground today to to be better for tomorrow? All right, it's a massive generalization, Chris, because obviously some people are good at listening. But on balance, as you become a leader, you kind of get used to, A, being right, people asking you to say what we mm. need to do. Plus, you also have the phenomenon where you're isolated and actually don't get a chance to deep down listen because you have to do all these meetings and you're important and, and people hesitate to go into your office. So very quickly, all the signals tend to say, I don't need to listen. And, and, and on top of that, you can bring that home, <laughs> that attitude with your children and, and your spouse. That doesn't go down well. And, and so you, you forget to practice listening. It's, it's a skill and it's like a muscle and you need to do it over and over again. And mm. so this is something that I, I think is, is generally missing and, it, and in, uh, called another way, it's being empathic. And when you make someone feel like they're heard, they're listened to, boy, does that up the engagement. Plus, it's going to give you good stuff. So we, that's something we should focus on. Yeah, and I think leaders need to remember that we can make sure people feel heard. We can uh, ensure that they are able to communicate, right? And, and there are strategies to, to do that. That doesn't mean you have to do what they're asking you to do. That doesn't mean you have to even agree with what they're saying. And I think that's where leaders stumble a little bit, right? They feel like, well, okay, they came to me, they told me this thing, I don't agree with that. Now what am I supposed to do, right? So they start avoiding these conversations because they don't want to have to tell people you're wrong. No, we've tried that before. 
um, you know, that's the wrong way to think about it. Or, you know, I, I, I've seen it even, even like in scientific companies, right, where someone is very senior. They did that thing 10 years ago. They already know it's not going to work, right? And so how do you how do you allow someone to grow and to be and to develop without squashing them, right? And also wasting time. People get busy. Um, you know, is there a balance there? Is it like an 80-20 thing? Is it, you know, trying to allow yourself more opportunities for that? I, I, how could somebody kind of approach that if they're feeling that way? All right. Well, I, I, it's the responsibility of a leader to respond. And, and if you're just ducking issues, these will come back up later. The challenge with this, uh, you know, these, these types of concepts like listening and responding and taking the time to explain why I'm not going to agree with you or whatever it is, this takes time. Mm-hmm. So the, the issue then becomes, are you giving yourself enough time to lead properly? And, and, and it's a harder thing than that sounds like to do. The, the idea that I was once turned on to, which I absolutely implemented, was when I got to a, a sufficient position when I was running a company worldwide. We were big enough. We had several thousand employees. We we're in 40 countries. So I had a big agenda. I had lots of people to deal with, lots of la-di-das to deal with internally. But I made sure that 50% of my day was free of meetings. And that allowed me to have the, the weird shit, the stuff that I didn't expect, the unexpected mm-hmm. that always happens, right. the serendipity of a conversation that, oh, my God, thank God I talked to you. You know, I happened upon somebody or I have to write a strategic note and I want to make sure that I have dedicated time to come up with at least 30 minutes of uninterrupted, no notifications time where I can come up with a, a strong thought or exercise. And, uh, and then other times, like actually spending time on you, because sometimes you need to do that. You need to take a breath, take a pause, maybe, God forbid, take a nap. <laughs> and, and then the last idea within that 50, 50% that's not in meetings is go out and meet people yeah. uh, that are outside of the track, that are unexpected. They can be even strangers for that matter, but clients, employees who you don't usually see. And, and, and so if you don't give yourself the time to listen, to explain why, and to explore, the chances are you'll be running yourself into this the crack. And the problem is that when you have time constraint and stress, your ability to listen is hugely diminished. I mean, I lived it myself. Yeah. I remember how the end of the month started getting tense. You started being prescriptive and everything. Hey, just do this. And you didn't explain why. And you wonder why it didn't work. So I had to then dial it back, you know, excuse the pun, where I had to move into another space. And I then finally got into a point where I strictly got 50% of my day free. Yeah, I think if leaders are not actively scheduling time for themselves uh, in their day, they're really missing out on a, a, just a spectacular opportunity. Because we think about all of the things that we do for other people in the organization, our employees, our clients, our vendors, right? We will set that time for them all day long. But setting time for you to think, setting time for you to meditate, setting time for you to to be, like you said, surprised or to to have that time just to wander around, whether it's virtually or it's you know literally, right? To to come up with ideas. As I remember before I did that, the only time I came up with good ideas was on vacation because it was the only time that my brain was free 
of not having all this constant stimulus from, from the organization to sit and think about things, right? I would come back from vacation with all these wonderful ideas and everyone would be like, you should go on vacation more often, you know? And, and, and so I did that for a while. And then I realized I just need to book this time from, you know, for myself, mm. you know, and whether that's be a novel or. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's being around other smart people. I get some of that through the show, which is spectacular. I get that through being in a CEO group, which is spectacular. I get you know different opinions, different ideas, but you know, I have on my calendar designated times for reading, for meditating, for, you know, that are part of that. And it, it makes all the difference in the world. So I, if someone's listening and they're like, this sounds foreign to them, but yet they understand that it does feel, you know, somewhat normal to them about the stresses and about all of the demands on themselves, right? That's a good sort of strategy, I think, to, to maybe be a little bit balanced in the future. I mean, at the end of the day, sometimes you don't have choices. And 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 I'm not dogmatic about it because there are days <laughs> when the CEO would call and, and, hey, listen, I want you to do this and do that. Yes, yeah. sir. Of course, that's, you know, that's reality. But at the same time, it was the intention. It's like I, I in my day, I in, in order for me to keep my head nourished and my soul nourished, I, I like to play 30 minutes of guitar every day. But yeah. I don't actually get to play 30 minutes every day. Some days I get 45 minutes slided in and other days it's zero and inshallah, that's the way it goes. So I, I just try to, you know, I, I say my intention is to do that and sometimes stuff happens. That's okay. But I, I look to have my meditation, my stretching, I get that going, a nice breakfast, and then I roll into the day in, in a good mood and a good mindset. Yeah. And it's so important if we can add routines that are firm, but maybe not, you know, <laughs> completely unpliable, right? There are those moments, are those things that happen. I mean, I've had people call me and say, this client is pissed off and we have to stop everything we're doing and go deal with this thing. And you go do that, right? And that, that yeah. today you just didn't get that stuff done. That's okay. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's like um, you talked about one cognitive bias earlier. The one I talk about a lot is Parkinson's law, right? So if you fill something with a certain amount of time, right, you tend to to do it for that amount of time and sort of fill things. So if you, you could just fill your whole day full of junk, if you want, I'm supposed to work from nine to five, you'll start filling it full of stuff that doesn't matter. Or you can be intentional about what you want to fill your day full of. Cause it's your brain will fill it. Once you set it, it'll fill it and you can fill it with good stuff and fun stuff and enriching things, or you can fill it with crappy meetings you didn't need to have. Right. <laughs> Something I do, Chris, that I think is a nice top tip is uh, color my agenda accordingly. Mm. So I have, uh, for example, I, I like to meet somebody new every day and that person gets a green color. That's my green meeting. And I have basically five times a week, a green meeting. So sometimes it's two a day, but generally it's one a day. Then I have my, uh, for example, what I'm going to be, when am I doing my podcasts? I have that as a color. I have my color for sport. I have my color for dinners where I'm meeting interesting people. So I, I try to show so I can quickly scan a week or a month and feel how the balance is. Mm. It's not balanced, but there's enough of that spotted around. I feel good about it. Right. And it's easy for you to say, oh, I'm a little low on the green here this month. Exactly. Right? I'm a little low on this. Yeah. And you can make that adjustment. And I think we all probably went through some low times in the last year with being in quarantine and things like that. And you had to find for a while. I mean, my wife and I were doing Zoom dinners with people every we did one almost every night for them in the beginning. It was just like, 
And then that got to be too much. And we, we kind of pulled it back a little bit, but, you know, just to have that interactions with people to check in with people, um, you know, just to, we had to change it. Cause your point, I was suddenly like, I'm, I went from being around people constantly. Uh, even though I have a fully remote organization, I felt like I was around people all the time. And that was the first time in my life that I was around nobody but my family. And it was like, hmm, how do we how do we fix this, right? How do we make adjustments for this? So I think it's super important what you're what you're suggesting people do. I've got a great uh, ongoing thing to do. It's called Lunch Club. I don't know if you're familiar with it. No, but it's a fabulous way to meet uh, interesting people. I've been doing it for about I'd, I'd say about sixty weeks. So I, I got into it as we got into the lockdown over here in, in Britain. And it essentially, they, they hook you up with interests, like-minded types of people, according to what you're looking for. So you can have specific agenda or completely open, just want to have an interesting chat. And you can be hooked up with people from Sydney to, to Los Angeles. And it books, they have a great UX. Oh, my gosh. Brilliant user experience. And so it's called lunchclub.ai. And uh, you can, I would definitely recommend it if you're interested in meeting new people outside of your network, building a network. And obviously, you know, when you're talking about building a network, generally my recommendation is don't go in with an agenda, be right. open. And, and by the way, great opportunity to practice listening. Yeah. If you need, if you need practice, I think we all need practice, but if you really feel like you need practice, a perfect place to do it, right? Someone you don't know, you don't have, you're not trying to sell them. They're not trying to sell you. You're not not an employee. The the balance of power is suddenly, you know, equal. That's a, it's a wonderful idea. And I'm looking forward to to checking it out. And there's been, there was an app or two along the way that tried to do something like that to kind of get people together. It didn't quite work, but I think I like this idea of the lunch. Um, now, is it always a lunch? Cause obviously time zones may, no, it's 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 called lunchclub.ai, and it happens. They they set up the times according to when your agenda. It hooks into your calendar. Really cool. Mm. If I think it's forward, it's .ai forward slash Minter, and you can get an invite. It's it's a great. Just check it out. They do forty minute re meetings. I highly recommend it. Well, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure I leave you with the opportunity to let people know how they can get a hold of you, how they can reach you, or follow you. Uh, if they're interested in the work that you're doing uh, as well. Well, thank you very much, Chris. My name is Minter Dial, which um, Google finds friendly enough as MinterDial.com. I, I generally on social with M Dial. My books are on, uh, of course, most in, in internet uh, bookselling sites like Amazon, but also bookshop.org. And uh, just to call out for my film, I did a documentary film, The Second World War, that'll be on PBS over Memorial Day weekend uh, called The Last Ring Home. And that's also the name of a book, The Last Ring Home. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to, on, the, on the latter one being a World War II buff. So I will uh, definitely check that out and really appreciate you being on the show today, sharing uh, everything about you and your world and, and your approach to leadership. And I'm, I know that people... Uh, definitely got a lot out of it and we'll have a lot of comments coming in. So uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool stuff that you're doing. Be my pleasure, Chris. Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks everyone for tuning in to today's show. Hopefully you've learned something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Until next time, we'll be back live next week. Do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today.
You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.